The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace and peace, grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. The Gospel of the Lord. O Lord, may your word only be spoken, and may your word only be heard. In the name of Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I know at least a few of you had the good fortune to be here last Wednesday at 3 o'clock to see the 2008 rendition of our fabulous Christmas pageant. We had a chance to see reenacted in the most heartwarming way the nativity of Jesus, complete with a live baby Jesus in the manger. Our own Braden Quayle, not yet two months of age, starred in the role of Jesus. It only goes downhill from there, Braden. <laughs> You've had your moment. Now, for me, and maybe for you, lying in a manger is one of those things that's kind of hard to really appreciate. Um, most of us, certainly I, have not spent much time on a farm and don't know really anything about mangers or livestock and so forth. I realized just how little I knew the other day when I went with my children to Codman Farm in Lincoln. I imagine a few of you have spent some time over at Codman Farm enjoying the friendly beasts over there. We were in one of the barns um, where they keep 
the cattle when they're indoors and also the sheep when they're indoors and there are also some rabbits there as well in that particular enclosure and while we were inside that barn one of the farmers was preparing to bring the sheep in it was kind of rainy and cold and the sheep were all kind of gathered up against the barn waiting for someone to let them in and so the farmer was preparing the the floor of the barn for them and throwing um, nice dry clean straw on the floor for them and then after she had done that she began throwing hay which I understand is different than straw hay you can eat straw you don't even animals make that distinction she's throwing hay into this wooden structure that's nailed to the wall thin strips of wood going horizontally and then a few going vertically and she's throwing hay into those structures now the holes there were large enough actually more than large enough for the sheep when they finally got in there to begin pulling hay through those holes so I'm watching this and thinking oh that's interesting and then we went over to the cows and they were doing the same thing pulling the hay through these holes and for the first time kind of uh, really it hit me that um, that's a manger that's a manger and the holes were way bigger than the wooden parts way bigger it's mostly holes and so again sort of for the first time I began to think well wow um, what if a newborn baby were perched precariously in this manger and I began to have a new appreciation for the word becoming flesh in the person of Jesus and living among us his first moments in this world were spent lying helpless on top of a pile of hay in a manger that was mostly holes with animals grabbing the hay out becoming coming precariously close probably to nibbling maybe his little hands and feet and taking little snippets out of his swaddling clothes and it became real to me in a way that had not been so for me before the word became flesh and lived among us it may be one of the most well-known well-recognized phrases in our Bible and because of that because of that very fact I think certainly for me it has lost some of its edge some of its um, bite some of its power to shock and make us think and perhaps even change our behavior sometimes it can help when we come upon these phrases that we've heard so many times that they've gotten smooth is to think about them in different translations and so I've come up with a couple that maybe might help you the first one that we hear uh, from the gospel book is, is the revised standard version as it suggests it's kind of the standard version um, Protestant churches throughout the world Episcopal churches use it uh, on Sunday for worship for public worship it was done in the late 1980s some of you may be more familiar with although you may not have heard it in quite a long time the King James Version of this passage from the 17th century 
The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And then there's a translation which I really like from the 1990s. It's from a Bible called The Message. I think Tony and I may have quoted from it before from up here. It's uh, very much in the vernacular, although based on the Greek, for sure. And here's how it's translated in the message. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. (laughs) Now, I think we tend to forget that um, the Greek that we get the New Testament in, the Greek that the New Testament was originally written in, was not highfalutin Greek, uh, the kind of scholarly Greek that you would have used to write about philosophy or finer points of medicine or it was it was it was not that kind of Greek. It was the kind of everyday vernacular Greek, the kind of Greek you would have used in the marketplace, the kind of Greek you would have spoken to family in, yelled at your children in, paid bills in. It was really earthy, everyday Greek. So to hear for my year anyway, to hear that Jesus moved into the neighborhood, that gives it a real kind of, you know, oh, down the block at Seminole. Sure, I know where he lives. It has a kind of immediacy that um, helps me. Sometimes it can have, uh, it can be helpful to do a little word study on the Greek that's underneath the English. The word, the Greek word that uh, is, is translated as lived or dwelt or came among us as a verb, um, it means to live temporarily in a tent. I mean, and we all know what a tent is and perhaps how uncomfortable that can be as well as fun to live in a tent. It can also mean tabernacle. And tabernacle is the tent that the Israelites worshipped in as they moved, as they wandered around the desert in the wilderness for 40 years. It was the tent where they had worship. It was the covering for the Ark of the Covenant, which was the box that kept the Ten Commandments in it. It was the very, very heart and soul and center of the Jewish people. They took it with them wherever they went, and eventually it had a permanent home in the temple in Jerusalem. So we might think of Jesus for us, as kind of the new tabernacle. He is accessible to us wherever we go. Um, He's not in one fixed place, accessible only if we go there and make our uh, worship, our sacrifices, whatever it is that we do for worship, in one particular place. He is available to us everywhere. As Charles Spurgeon, a great 19th century English preacher, put it, The incarnation, and that's the doctrine that we're talking about here, God becoming flesh, human. The incarnation means that there is now no spot on earth where God dwells in preference to another. Yet, there is a true house of, a real temple of, the infinite. A living abode of the Godhead. So some word study, some different translations maybe can help us understand just how meaty a basis this passage is for the idea of the incarnation, of God taking on human flesh in the form of Jesus, which is, of course, what we celebrate on Christmas 
Eve and on Christmas Day and for these next couple of weeks in the Christmas season. John, the writer of the Gospel, certainly wasn't thinking in terms of doctrine. Now, that comes later. In the late first century, he was thinking primarily of emphasizing to the believers gathered around him and to those who may, he hoped, come to believe in Jesus through this Gospel that Jesus was a human being with bones and flesh and blood and teeth and feet and emotions like every one of us. And yet, he was also God. Not a divine mirage or a heavenly ghost, but both fully flesh and fully human. Now, the question may arise... Well, why would God do this? Why would God come to earth in this way? No other religion claims that this happens in this way. In fact, some other religions think of us as being kind of idolatrous or not monotheistic because of our understanding of the way the one God works in Jesus. So why would God do this? The one God do this, become incarnate in Jesus well, one classic reason, and one that um, we hear, one of the themes that we hear in our Eucharistic prayers, is that we needed a teacher and a savior to get us back on track with God. We've made such a mess of things that no human power can help us. Only God can help us. Only God can save us. As mortals, we need a bridge, a road back to wholeness, a road back to God, a bridge back to God. And Jesus is that bridge. In his teaching, in his life and death and resurrection, Jesus spans that gap, helps to make it right, helps us to help make it right. Now, I think that's a wonderful way of thinking about it. And it's one of many ways of thinking about why God would have become flesh on this earth. But I discovered another way in my reading, and maybe some of you have heard of this way. If not, um, I hope this hearing of it makes it a richer, fuller idea for you of why God would have come to earth in Jesus. It comes from a woman named Hildegard of Bingen, who was a 12th century German woman, an incredible woman, an amazing woman. She was a preacher, a theologian, a poet, a playwright, a composer, a musician, the founder of a number of abbeys for nuns, an advisor to kings and popes and other monks who were trying to figure out how can we establish monasteries that work. She was an incredible person. And here is her understanding of why the Incarnation. Why would God bother to do this? Well, she believed that the Incarnation had been predestined from the beginning, from before time. And that sort of jives with what John says in, in the Gospel that we heard this morning, the passage. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus was with God in the beginning. Even before the beginning, the Word was there. 
with God. The incarnation was on its way. She didn't see the coming of Christ as primarily a response to the sinfulness of humanity. That would make God seem kind of weak, kind of reactive. Oh, it didn't work this time. Here's what I'll do. I'll send this person, this extension of myself to make things right. That didn't work for Hildegard. It didn't make God powerful enough. Her thought was, and she uses a mother-child analogy, goes something like this. A mother doesn't love a child because he hungers and cries, even though its crying makes new demands on her love. In other words, God doesn't love the world because it's in trouble, messed up, because we're making a mess of it, and therefore sends Jesus to help us out. Rather, in the best of all possible worlds, a mother loves her child even before she conceives it. That kind of makes sense. You know, you want a child, and hopefully you can have one. It's something that you're looking forward to. It's an idea in your head before it becomes a reality. And that is why the child comes into the world. Because in the best of all possible worlds, the mother wants the child in the world. Like a gracious mother, divine wisdom, that was one of the ways that Hildegard thought of God and addressed God, is divine wisdom. Divine wisdom made human beings in the first place because she wished to dwell among them and enjoy their company. So God makes people, and then God wants to join people to enjoy their company, and so that they can enjoy God's company in the person of Jesus. So in Hildegard's view, the incarnation, the coming of Jesus to be with us, was the very purpose of creation. That's why we're here, so God could be with us. So God could join us to enjoy us and for us to enjoy God. That's pretty amazing stuff to think like that. But our God indeed is amazing. And it's amazing to think of the lengths that God will go to be with us, to encourage us to be with God, to encourage us to love God and just as important to love one another to entice us to love one another God is willing to go so far as to take the form initially as God comes to this earth of a little baby perched on a pile of hay in a manger with more holes than wood in it being nibbled at and around by little goats and sheep and cows teeth God is willing to come to us in that way. The Word became flesh and lived among us. Amen.